The Old Testament reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 44. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me, since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? There is no rock. I know not any. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. The epistle reading is taken from Romans chapter 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Out of respect for Christ, I invite you to rise as we speak together the Alleluia and verse that you'll find on page 205 in your hymnal. We speak these words together. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Holy Gospel for this Sunday, the eighth Sunday after Pentecost, is taken from the Gospel of St. Matthew, the 13th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. And Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came, and they sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And so when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And so the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No. No, unless gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Well, then Jesus left the crowds and he went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And Jesus answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and they'll throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who is ears... Let him hear. This is the gospel of the Lord. O grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The pastor and his wife were discussing details of a wedding that the pastor was going to be doing for two wealthy families. 
And they were wondering what kind of honorarium these wealthy families might give to the pastor for his services. Well, during or right after the ceremony, when they were at the reception, the groom expressed his thanks for the services that the pastor had rendered to them. And as he did so, he gave the pastor a a box, and in the box was some fine leather gloves. Well, the pastor was a little bit underwhelmed by the gift. You might even say maybe a little bit unappreciative of the gift. And when he returned home, he laughingly tossed the gloves in his wife's lap. He seldom wore gloves, and they were too big for his wife. And so they ended up putting the gloves on a shelf. Well, a few months later, the pastor and his wife were planning to go on a cruise to Alaska, and they decided that maybe he would need to take his gloves because it might be a little bit chilly on that cruise. And so he got out the gloves and he tried them on. And as he tried them on, he found that there was something stuffed in each finger of the glove. And to his surprise, he found a $100 bill in each of the ten fingers of the gloves. What had been an unappreciated gift was now seen as very valuable. While the Holy Spirit is an inexpressible gift that God gives to us, it's a gift received by all the baptized, whether you're baptized as an infant or baptized as an adult. St. Paul says, your body, he says to the baptized, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives within you, whom you have received from God. Yes, the Holy Spirit is a tenant. He's a tenant who lives within us through his word. And yet because he's invisible, and because the Holy Spirit works quietly in our lives through word and sacrament, we can often forget that he's actually a tenant within us. In fact, we may not even always appreciate all that the Holy Spirit does for us and in us and through us. I mean, do you realize that as you sing the hymns and read the Bible or listen to the scriptures read or remember your baptism or you speak the Apostles' Creed or you encourage one another in Bible study or as you meditate upon sermons, do you realize that the third person of the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is strengthening you in your faith? Do you realize that as you open up your portals of prayer or whatever devotional book you might have or as you read your Bible daily and your daily devotions and as you listen to Christian music, maybe on the radio or on your iPod or whatever it is, that do you realize that the Holy Spirit is ministering to you through those words? Do you realize that as you are talking with your family and friends and you're talking maybe about something that relates to your faith in Christ, that the Holy Spirit is the one who is bringing to your remembrance the things that you have heard and learned, and He's giving you the words to speak so that you can give an account of the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. And do you realize that as you see yourself growing in faith and life, as you are reflecting in your life the, the Spirit of Christ, where you're showing through your deeds and your words love, peace and joy, happiness, self-control and the like, these fruits of the Spirit, that it's actually the Holy Spirit who is enabling you to grow in your faith and life. And you realize 
that when you are so overwhelmed by the suffering and the troubles of your life, that it's the Holy Spirit who is interceding, who is praying for you. Yes, this is the point, this last one. is the point that we want to give our attention to this morning as we continue our discussion on being God's privileged people. For even as we are God's privileged people, we've talked in previous sermons about how it is that we suffer, how we groan along with the rest of the world. And as we do so, St. Paul reminds us today that the Holy Spirit groans with us. Listen to his words again that were read to you by Cindy just a few moments ago, Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words, and he, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes. He intercedes for the saints, that's for you and me, according to the will of God. How is your prayer life? Do you find that you compartmentalize your prayer life to times just, say, maybe before a meal? Or do you find that maybe you just pray just before you fall asleep at night? Or do you find that maybe your prayer life is limited to your experience here within the four walls of this sanctuary? Or do you find yourself talking with your Heavenly Father throughout the day, kind of carrying on a conversation with Him? Friends, the hectic pace of our life means that we cannot not be constant in prayer. And yet, if I was probably to interview each and every one of you, and you were to interview me, we would all confess to our shame that we simply are not in conversation with the Lord enough. You know, Jesus was a person of prayer. Jesus began his day in prayer. He would often get up well before the disciples were ever awake and he would go off by himself and he would spend time dialoguing with his father. For he knew that this was absolutely essential for him to dialogue with his father as he experienced the troubles and the sufferings that he was enduring as the savior of the world. I mean, who can forget his agonizing prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane? Father, if it's possible, take this cup of suffering from me, but not my will be done, but your will be done. And think of the petitions that Jesus prayed even as he was dying on the cross, suffering the wrath of his Father for your sin and mine. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And as he was dying his final breath, or as he was breathing his final breath, he, he prayed, into your hands, I commend my spirit. You know, we live in a world where the suffering is real. We focused a lot on that last Sunday. In last Sunday's message, we heard how St. Paul said, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And throughout this week, if we've turned on that silly TV and watched the news or listened to the news, whatever, we just hear report after report of how the, how the world is groaning. We've heard the shrieks and the weeping and the wailing of people who are suffering 
in a myriad of different ways. And no doubt during our own time, as we have suffered in this world during these traumatic and difficult times, we may have found ourselves being prone to pray. For even sometimes unbelievers are prone to pray when they're faced with problems in their life. But sometimes, when we might be expecting ourselves to pray in the midst of our misery and sorrow, we actually find that our misery and our pain and our sorrow drain us. They drain us of our will and our desire to pray. We might even find ourselves wondering, what good will prayer do anyways? You know, Martin Luther was one who was acquainted with the hard work of prayer. And yes, it is a hard work to pray. That's why the disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. You know, Jesus grew weary, or Luther grew weary, I mean. And he often lacked the desire to pray. He even confessed one time to his barber. Can you imagine? He was probably sitting in a barber chair. No, he wasn't. But he, was, he wrote a letter to his barber who asked him. He said, Luther, teach me how to pray. And so Luther wrote a little, little devotional thought, so to speak. And in that devotional thought, Luther confessed to his barber that the tasks and thoughts of life often made him cool and joyless in prayer. Cool and joyless in prayer. Do Luther's words describe you and your prayer life? You find it sometimes that your prayers are cool and joyless. You know, prayer is, or praying is difficult for the believer for another reason. Martin Luther writes in the large catechism, the human heart is by nature so desperately wicked that it always flees from God thinking that he neither wants nor cares for our prayers because we're sinners and have merited nothing but wrath. Yes, even as Christians, as those who have been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, we actually may find ourselves fleeing from God at times. Fleeing from the very one who can help us. And the sufferings and the pain and all that we're going through in our life seems to just reaffirm to us that God is displeased with us that he's punishing us for something. So why in the world will we turn towards him when he's the one that's bringing these things upon us? We may have even found ourselves wondering, why in the world is God punishing me? What did I do to deserve this? Such was the case for an 80-year-old hospitalized saint who was overwhelmed by the aches and pains of her aging body. She could see that age was catching up to her, and her days on earth were becoming more limited. And she groaned to her friend in the midst of her pain, I feel as though I have fallen from grace. And the wise friend replied, You'll never be beyond God's grace even though I know how depression can cause us to feel alienated from God. Well, what do you do then when you get down, asked the 80-year-old, which her friend said, I write. Each day I put all things that burden me on paper, and they end up being my prayers. Friends, let not your sin 
be an obstacle to you talking with your heavenly Father? Let not your thoughts that maybe you have fallen from grace discourage from taking everything to God in prayer. Instead, be assured. Be assured that you are loved and you are forgiven of all of your sin by God. By virtue of Christ's suffering in the flesh and his sacrificial death on the cross for your sins and for my sins, your heavenly Father not only forgives you of all of your sin, but he adopts you into his family. And as your Father, he invites you to be constant in prayer with him. Again, I remind you of the words that many of you memorized from Luther's small catechism. When Luther wrote, with these words, that is our Father who art in heaven, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true Father and that we are his true children, so that with all boldness and confidence, we may ask him as dear children ask their dear earthly Father. And so make your list. Bring your burdens to the Lord, all of them. Take them to your Father in prayer because he desires to receive your petitions and to answer them according to his mercy. Prayer is still difficult though, isn't it? Even knowing this. It's difficult for another reason. Praying is perceived as a sign of weakness. To pray to God is an acknowledgement that we're not in control of our life. It's an acknowledgement that we lack the power and the human resource to solve our own dilemmas. When we pray, we're acknowledging that God is God and we're not God. We're limited, weak creatures. And to admit our dependency on our Father, well, that deflates our pride and dethrones our attitude of self-sufficiency, of our own self-worship. But prayer is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a mark of faith. Our prayer life is actually a barometer of how healthy our relationship with the Lord is. You see, prayer is our recognition that God loves us. It's our recognition that He's our Father and that we're His children and we know that He has invited us to come to Him in prayer. Prayer is the recognition that, yes, God, we are far too weak. Far too weak with, to cope with the devil and all of his might and all of the forces that are arrayed against us that are trying to trample us under their feet. Prayer, we recognize, is one of those weapons that God has given to us in our ongoing battle with the devil in our own flesh. And hence, the Lord invites us to take everything to the Lord in prayer. But there's still another reason, isn't there, why prayer can be so difficult for us? We can be so overwhelmed with emotion. We can be so overwhelmed with anxiety, and fear, anger, sorrow, and any other number of emotions that we simply can't find the words to pray. I mean, have you ever found yourself in that situation where you're just so overwhelmed, maybe with sorrow or anger, 
that you just can't speak. You open your mouth and nothing comes out. You try to form your thoughts into some kind of coherent word and it just remains incoherent. You might even have found yourself numbed into silence. And it's at such times that we need assistance to pray. And it's at such times that the Holy Spirit intervenes for us. As St. Paul writes in our text, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. The Holy Spirit empathizes with us in our sufferings. When we groan, he groans. When we weep, he weeps. When we sigh, he sighs. And when we're silent, he speaks. He speaks for us. He intercedes for us. He prays for us. He brings our heart's concerns, our petitions before the throne of our Heavenly Father. This is just another sign, isn't it? Of God's great love for us and his personal interest in our life. God is not distant from us when we think or feel that he is distant from us. No. He is ever present with us. In fact, as we heard before, the Holy Spirit dwells in us through his word. The Spirit is not apathetic towards our suffering condition, but he shares in our suffering condition. As I said, he groans with us and he intercedes for us on our behalf. And because the Holy Spirit knows what is moving, what is within our hearts, the Holy Spirit brings God's word, the scriptures, to bear on our broken hearts and our wounds, our aches and our pains. And through that word, he renews us, he announces to us forgiveness, he assures us of God's love, and he gives us the ability to endure. And so, my friends in Christ, we are God's privileged people. The Holy Spirit is an invaluable gift that has been poured out on us when we were baptized. And the Holy Spirit not only brings us to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit not only is a tenant who dwells within us day by day, the Holy Spirit not only sustains us in that one true faith until our dying day, but the Holy Spirit prays for us. He intercedes for us on our behalf. The Holy Spirit ensures that the prayers of our heart are brought before our merciful Father. To that I say, Alleluia. Alleluia. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.